This is the emdocs.net podcast with Britt Long and Manny Singh. We bring you high-yield content about what you're seeing every day in the ED. The textbook presentation of compartment syndrome seems fairly straightforward, but real cases just often aren't. We deal with critically ill patients all the time in emergency medicine, but diagnosing compartment syndrome can require some finesse. Not only can compartment syndrome cause some major complications for patients, but unfortunately, it can cause some significant issues for us. Up to 23% of medical legal cases involving compartment syndrome were due to misdiagnosis, and over 30% were due to delays in therapy. Let's start with some pathophysiology. Basically, compartment syndrome is due to too much pressure within a fascial compartment. This can be due to too much volume in the compartment or reduced size of a compartment. As that pressure builds, you have reductions in lymphatic, capillary, and venous blood flow, and this leads to reduced arterial blood flow and tissue ischemia, which further worsens the edema. This is followed by necrosis, neurologic damage, contractures, and in severe cases, the need for amputation. Rhabdo can also occur with severe muscle breakdown. Unfortunately, this muscle necrosis can occur fairly quickly. In one study, one-third of cases experienced muscle necrosis within three hours of the initial injury. The most common area affected is the anterior compartment of the lower leg, often in patients with fractures of the tibia. However, up to 30% of cases are not associated with fracture, and this is another pitfall. You need to think about compartment syndrome in patients with soft tissue injuries, burns, contrast extravasation, DVTs, and many other problems. The population most commonly affected are males between the ages of 20 to 40 years. This group has the highest risk of high energy injuries they have more muscle bulk, and they have stronger fascial layers. All of these increase the risk of compartment syndrome. Elderly patients are also at high risk because of baseline hypertension, and they have reduced compartment perfusion. Keep in mind that open fractures don't adequately release the compartment, and compartment syndrome can still occur in this setting. Let's get to our history and exam. Unfortunately, the early findings are often subtle or not detected in patients because of altered mental status, major trauma, substance use, and extremes of age. The classic earliest symptom is pain out of proportion to exam. But pain out of proportion doesn't just equal compartment syndrome. You need to think about a couple other things like orbital cellulitis, necrotizing fasciitis, mesenteric ischemia, malignant otitis externa, Ludwig's angina, AAA, acute arterial occlusion of one of the limbs, and of course, aortic dissection. In the setting of compartment syndrome, patients usually describe this pain as deep, severe pain that worsens with passive stretch. While this seems straightforward, severe pain has pretty poor specificity and can occur with many other conditions. If ischemia and necrosis develops, pain can even vanish in later stages of the disease. Other late symptoms include sensory changes, paresthesias, and focal motor deficits. Now what about our bedside exam? We're all taught about pain with passive stretch, a tense firm compartment, swelling, focal motor and sensory changes, and decreased pulses. But these aren't always present and they have poor sensitivity. Digital palpation has a sensitivity less than 50% for detection of compartment syndrome in the hand and it's less than 25% for the leg. Paralysis and absent pulses are rare and palpating a tense or firm compartment just isn't reliable. Swelling of the affected area may be present in about half of patients, but again, that means half won't have this. We'll include a table in the show notes, 
And this table shows that these findings in isolation have very poor sensitivities, all less than 20%. However, if you combine several of these signs and symptoms, you have much greater test characteristics. For example, if the patient has pain with passive stretch, pain at rest, or paresthesias, the sensitivity is 93%. And if you add paresis, that sensitivity increases to 98%. Again, the key is not to use any finding in isolation, but rather use your whole history and exam. What about some other tools? An abnormal pulse oximetry reading may indicate compartment syndrome. However, we can't use this to exclude the condition. Rhabdo can be present in up to 40% of patients, so be sure to check CK levels. The most reliable bedside test beyond our history and exam is measuring an intercompartmental pressure. You have several options for this. You can use a solid state transducer like the Stryker model or a needle manometer and arterial line setup. The Stryker monitor has a diagnostic sensitivity of around 95% with a specificity that reaches over 98%. Before we start talking about how to check your intercompartmental pressure, the key aspect is to involve your orthopedic surgeons early. This should really be a clinical diagnosis in the ED, but checking an intercompartmental pressure can help you. Now, let's get to actually checking a pressure. There are some keys to checking an intercompartmental pressure. First, you need to make sure that you know what you're doing and that you're within the right compartment. When you're checking the intercompartmental pressure, place the catheter within five centimeters of the fracture or injury level. However, keep the catheter tip outside the actual side of the fracture. Also make sure that the pressure transducer and the catheter tip are at the same height when checking the pressure. Once you've obtained that pressure, well, what do you do with that number? That number is going to be the absolute intercompartmental pressure. Previously, we've used a pressure over 30 as diagnostic, but using this true intercompartmental pressure alone has some issues. Different compartments have varying pressure thresholds, and patients may also have varying absolute pressures. Patients who are hypertensive may have perfusion of the compartment even at higher pressures, while patients who are hypotensive can have compartment syndrome at lower absolute intercompartmental pressures. Because of these issues, some have advocated for using the delta pressure. This is the diastolic blood pressure minus that absolute compartmental pressure. A level less than 20 is diagnostic, but a level less than 30 is also concerning for compartment syndrome. Also keep in mind that if you have an absolute intracompartmental pressure of over 20 and the patient's hypotensive, you need to think about compartment syndrome. While higher absolute pressures can cause severe damage over a short time period, Relatively lower, but still elevated pressures for a longer time can still cause severe tissue damage. If the initial pressure is normal, including the delta pressure, but the clinical picture still fits compartment syndrome, then you need to do a repeat measurement, as well as pressure measurements in surrounding compartments. Also, if you're suspicious of compartment syndrome based on your history and exam, it's best to get your orthopedic colleagues on the phone early. The definitive treatment is going to be a fasciotomy in the OR, and most orthopedic surgeons will want to assess the patient themselves as well as check their own pressures. Treatment really comes down to several important components. Once a motor nerve deficit is present, full recovery is rare, so get your orthopedic colleagues on the phone as quickly as possible for assessment. The earlier you involve the surgeon, the better. If orthopedics is unavailable, discuss the case with a surgeon who's able to complete a fasciotomy. And that's the definitive therapy, fasciotomy. However, there are some things in the ED that we can do to help this patient. First, provide analgesia. 
resuscitate the patient with IV fluids to improve those intercompartmental perfusion pressures, remove any constrictive dressings or bandages, reduce fractures, and elevate the affected extremity to the level of the heart. If you remove an external compressive device such as a tight cast, you can reduce pressures by up to 85%. So what are your big takeaways? Think about compartment syndrome in patients with pain out of proportion to your exam. Don't rely on your classic history or exam findings. Instead, use a combination based on your bedside assessment. If you check an absolute pressure, keep in mind using a delta pressure. This is probably more reliable in several important situations like hypotension. The keys to management are involve your orthopedic surgeons early. The definitive treatment is going to be fasciotomy in the OR. Provide IV fluids and pain control, reduce any fractured or dislocations, raise the extremity to the level of the heart, and remove any external compressive devices. Thanks for joining us on the emdocs.net podcast. Stay safe and healthy, everyone.